Hey, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Sam Silvius, and I am the family discipleship pastor here. Uh, and that just means that my primary role here at our church is uh, to help kids and students and their parents and really all uh, of the adults here. Uh, pretty much anybody who comes to our church, my job is to help them to uh, connect to God, to grow in their relationship with God, to grow to be more like him, to be discipled um, in the ways of following Jesus, following the Lord. And so um, I love what I get to do. Um, I love that that's what I get to do um, week to week on a weekly basis. But I also really really love it when Pastor Darren, our senior pastor, is traveling like he is this week. This week he's traveling, and that means that I get to uh, kind of fill in for him. I get to preach this week, and I get to share with you what God has has shown me all week, what he's been unpacking for me in scripture, and and what he wants to say to us, and I love um, when I get to do this as well. And so um, most of you know, many of you know rather, that um, our, our mission as a church is to help more people more often say yes to God. In fact, everything we do as a church uh, is designed around that intent to help you encounter God, to help you to come into his presence, to hear his voice, to know what he has for you, to know what he wants for you, and to be able to say yes to whatever that is. Everything we've done this morning has been for that intent. Our time in worship together has been inviting God into here to experience his presence, to sit um, in his presence this morning. Our time of communion together, uh, as as Tanner mentioned, kind of entering into that new reality with God. Um, Even our time of offering has been around saying yes to God and being in his presence, doing what he's asked us to do. And so I don't want this time in our service to be any different than those times. Uh, We really want God to move in this place. We want him to speak. We want to hear from him. We want to know his direction. Uh, And so this morning, um, I just want to make sure that there's nothing in me that's preventing that from happening. And so I'm going to invite you guys to join me uh, just in praying for the message this morning, praying that God would speak clearly um, and and praying for me that I would be uh, obedient to him uh, as we hear from his word this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much um, for your word, God, that we can uh, study, that we can know who you are, that we can know what you have for us. We can know uh, your intentions and and your direction, your leading. Father, I thank you also, God, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that prompts and leads us, that that calls to us, that speaks to us, that that directs us in certain ways. And so, Father, uh, this morning, I pray that you would open our minds, open our ears, God, to what you have to say in your word. Father, also open us up to what you have to say through your spirit. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive that word. Father, I pray that you would um, speak encouragement to those who need encouragement this morning. God, I pray that you would speak uh, conviction to those who need direction uh, to be convicted. Father, I pray that you would speak hope and peace and joy to those who need that this morning. And Father, most of all, we want to hear from you, God. And, And God, I ask that you would give us the strength and the ability to say yes to whatever it is you're calling us to, that you would give us the ability to walk forward in that, to do whatever it is that you've called us to. God, we love you so much. Thank you so much for what you're doing, what you're going to do. God, meet us here. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. When I was in sixth grade, I had um, what at the time seemed like the most traumatic experience of my life. Now, looking back, it it wasn't as bad as it seemed in the moment, but in that moment, man, it was horrible. It was uh, just the absolute worst thing that I could imagine happening to me. You see, what happened is one day we were uh, riding home on the bus, me and a couple of friends of mine, at least I thought they were my friends. Um, We rode to school every morning together, and we rode home, and usually we looked out for one another, but this day was a little bit different. And I was on the bus, and I was riding home on the bus, and there was this girl who I thought was my friend who was a couple of years older than I was. She was riding uh, a seat or two behind me, uh, and she was just having one of those days. Her name was Misty. Now, Misty wasn't known 
as a nice girl to begin with. And on this day, she was particularly not living up to the reputation of being nice, if you know what I'm saying. And on this day, she had found a target, and she was just kind of tearing into this person. And so I did what any sixth grade boy would do. I got as low in my chair as I possibly could and tried to be invisible so that the fire would not be directed at me. But Misty said something that caught me off guard, caught me by surprise, and I caught myself laughing which she picked up on immediately and turned towards me and says, what are you laughing at? I bet you're still a... And then she called me a name. And I was very confused in that moment because clearly the thing that she was calling me was not a desirable thing for a sixth grade boy to be, but I'd only heard this word in one other context. See, the word that she called me, I'd heard before. In fact, I'd heard it in church, usually around Christmas time when we're talking about Mary. But it didn't make sense to me that she would call me that in this context. But anyway, I I knew that in this moment, I didn't want to be this. So when Misty looks at me and goes, what are you laughing at? I bet you're still a virgin. By the way, if you don't know what that word means, your parents would be happy to explain it to you. after the service. (laughs) However, be prepared for the I'll tell you when you're older comment, okay? Um, Now that that disclaimer's out of there. But but she looked at me and she said, "Uh, what are you laughing at? I bet you're still a virgin. Now, now, you gotta understand, okay? I grew up in, like, I grew up going to church, right? I mean, we went to church from the time I was born. And, and we didn't watch movies that had curse words in them. We didn't watch anything that was rated beyond PG. I mean, most of the things that I watched, almost everything was animated, right, growing up. I was, I was a, kind of a sheltered kid in a Christian home. And, and there are times that I'm thankful for that upbringing, but this was not one of those moments because I had no idea what she was talking about. I was completely clueless as to what that word actually meant meant, and yet I was being called it. And so I, of course, responded with, no, I'm not. (laughs) I was a sixth grade boy, sheltered, didn't even know what the word meant. Clearly, I was. But I didn't know what was going on. And so I responded with, no, I'm not. And she goes, yes, you are. I bet you don't even know what that word means. And I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) Not a clue. Just digging the hole deeper, right? She goes, fine, what does it mean? And then I began to pray as hard as I've ever prayed for anything in my life that the bus would magically be transported to my stop so I could get off and not finish this conversation from the embarrassment that I was feeling. And I tell that story and it's kind of funny. It really did happen um, and it really was embarrassing at the time. But, but here's the thing. I think for most of us, we've had an experience similar to that, where we've, we've walked up on a conversation and something's been said or something is being said, but we don't have the full conversation or we don't have the context or we don't know what the words mean or we don't know what they mean in this particular scenario or what's going on, and we're just completely lost. And when we get lost in those conversations, we have some options. We, we can just be silent right? And ignore it and hope that it goes away. We can try and fake it like I did, right? I tried to fake knowing what it meant and that just led to more embarrassment for me. Or we could say, hey, you know what? I don't know what this means. Explain it to me. I want to know. I want to understand. And so this morning, that's what I want to do for us because there's a phrase 
that we've been reading over and over again, but I don't know that we fully grasp what it means and what, what, it, what it actually implies and, and fully understood what, what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across for us. See, before Darren uh, left on uh, this particular trip, he asked me as we were preparing for this Sunday uh, to look back over uh, the passage we've been going through. If, you're, uh, if this is uh, your first week or if you're a little bit new here, you might not know we've been going through the book of Ephesians for several weeks. Uh, we, we started actually by looking uh, at the Apostle Paul and, and where he was when he wrote this book and, and about his visit to uh, the church in Ephesus and, and what was going on there and, and his whole life leading up to this and then how he wrote the letter and what's in the letter. We've been picking apart this letter really going into detail, really digging deep into these texts to see what's going on here. What can we learn? What do we need to understand? It's been really, really great to do that. But before Pastor Darren left, he asked me if I would kind of take a step back, look over this whole section, these 14 verses in Ephesians and see if there was anything that stood out to me that we haven't talked about yet. Anything that we maybe missed or or, or just glanced over. And as I looked at that, I realized that this phrase keeps coming up. There's this thing that Paul says that just keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up. And I realized as I was reading it that I didn't know exactly what it meant. I didn't understand all the implication of it. I mean, I had a pretty good idea, but I didn't know exactly what Paul was talking about. And so I thought this morning that we would take a step back and look at this phrase, this phrase that Paul uses. The phrase is in Christ, or in this case, he uses in Christ, in him, or in the one he loves. All mean the same thing, right? To be in Christ. And he uses this phrase seven times in these first 14 verses, seven times in these verses. 126 times Paul uses this phrase across all of his letters. It appears so much in in Paul's writing. And so it's clearly something that was important to Paul, clearly something that that he understood and that shaped his understanding of who God was and who he was as a part of God's plan. And so I think it's important for us to pause and take a look at this phrase. And so this morning, let's just start. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3 and read through 14, just so you can see all the places that this appears. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We're going to put the text up on the screen for you. Here's what it says, picking up in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. In him... We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory." 
So you saw that phrase over and over again, right? It's just so natural for Paul to say, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We're, we're in Christ. We're redeemed in Christ. We're saved in Christ. We're brought into Christ. This, this idea of being in Christ. And so if it's so important to Paul that he repeats it so often, that it's so common in his language, then I think it's important that we understand what it means to be in Christ. So the first thing that we find from this passage as Paul is unpacking this is that to be in Christ is to be adopted into a new reality. To be in Christ is to be adopted into a new reality. Now, why do I say that? Well, look at, look at the words that Paul uses to describe this. Look, look at what Paul is saying. If we go back to verse 3, this is what he says, right? In verse 3 here, he says, Praise be to the Lord, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Where? In the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for what? Adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So there's, a, there's three phrases here that really stand out as we're looking at this, right? In, in the heavenly realms. He chose us before the creation of the world. He chose us in the heavenly realms. These aren't terms that we use. These aren't realities that we live in, right? Like before I knew God, before I really studied scripture, before I came to to follow Jesus, I didn't think at all about the heavenly realms, right? I, I was only thinking about this realm, about my life here, about what's going on here. I had no idea that there even was a heavenly realm. And before the creation of the world, I didn't even exist before the creation of the world, But somehow, what we understand Paul to say is that to be in Christ is to be taken from this reality that we know and taken out of that reality in Christ, or through Christ, taken out of that reality and moved over here to this other reality that is in Christ, that's in the heavenly realms, where there are spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, where we were chosen before the creation of the world. There's another reality happening over here that we were placed into. I think there's a really great illustration of this in a movie, uh, one of my um, favorite movies from a different season. It's an older movie. Uh, It's a science fiction movie. I like science fiction movies. I hope that you do because this will make more sense if you do. (laughs) But it's the movie The Matrix. Anybody seen The Matrix? Right? The Matrix, right? So what happens in The Matrix? In the movie The Matrix, you have this character, Mr. Anderson, right? Mr. Anderson has got his life that's happening, right? He, he believes that his life is going in a certain direction, that, that all of these things have come together. He thinks that it's 1999, and he's living um, in America as a computer programmer by day, as a hacker by night, and he thinks that this is his world. Like, everything that he's experiencing, he believes is reality. He believes it's true. He believes that his apartment is real. All of these things. He, he absolutely believes that his world, the world that he knows, is his reality until something happens, He begins to get these hints and glimpses that maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's something else out there. And as he begins to pursue those hints, he meets the character Morpheus. And Morpheus comes to Mr. Anderson, known as Neo in the film. He comes to Neo and he says to Neo, look, you have a choice, Neo. Classic Matrix scene, Morpheus holds out his hands and there's a pill in each hand. A blue pill in one hand a red pill in the other, and he says to Neo, if you take the blue pill, you wake up in your bed, believe whatever you want. But if you take the red pill, I'll show you just how deep the rabbit hole goes. And Neo takes the red pill, 
and wakes up in a world that is completely foreign to him. It's several decades in the future. Things don't look anything like he thought they looked. Things are completely not what they seemed. And what he realizes is that he was taken from a reality that he thought was true into what was actually the true reality and placed into a world that was completely foreign to him. And he had to learn how to operate in that world. And as he begins to learn what it looks like to be in that world, he finds out what his purpose is, what his call to, how deep the rabbit hole goes. And guys, Being a follower of Jesus is exactly like that. Where we're taken out of the reality we thought we knew and we're placed in Christ and suddenly we're experiencing things we never thought possible. We're we're finding uh, a new wisdom that we never could possibly imagine before. God is calling us to do things that we never saw ourselves doing. God is leading us to places we never saw ourselves going. And all of the time we have this joy that's inexplicable and this hope that can't be quenched and it doesn't make any sense, but we find ourselves in this reality. That's why I think the matrix is a great example for us of what it really looks like to be in Christ. Now, a lot of us who grew up in church, if if you've been around church work for a while, you've probably heard the phrase, inviting Jesus into your heart, right? And and so as as I was looking at this, and I'm looking at this new reality of going, okay, we're invited into a new reality in Christ. Well, how does that work with all of the other passages in Scripture that talk about Christ in us, that talk about the Holy Spirit living in us, that talk about God living in us? How does this work together? Because the reality is, like, we, we know that there's Scripture out there. We know Paul himself has talked about God living in us and living through us. And so how do these things fit together? And it really struck me when I read something that one of our three-year-olds wrote after VBS, because after our VBS, we had talked a little bit about this, and one of our three-year-olds had written um, on her prayer request card, she had shared with her uh, small group leader, if I ask Jesus to come live in my heart, will it be too heavy? Is my heart going to fall down? How does that work? Right? And, and, then, and then another one of them asks, well, if Jesus comes to live in my heart, is he going to get blood on him? And, and, and we laugh because of the, the innocence of those children. But really, when you think about it, it's kind of a strange expression that we have in the church, right? To say, Jesus, come live in my heart. I mean, we're talking about the God of the universe, the one who created all things, like miniaturizing and coming to live inside of, of me. Does that actually make sense? And yet we know that God does live in us. So what does it look like? Here's, I think, a more accurate picture. That when we come to faith in Christ, we are taken out of this reality and we're placed in a new reality that is in Christ. But in this reality, because we're in Christ, Christ penetrates us. He flows through us, around us. He's in us. We are in him and he is in us because we are in him. Does that make sense to you guys? Right? I think that's a better picture of what's happening. And you say, Pastor Sam, why does it matter? Like, wh- what does it really matter? As long as we're following Jesus, why do I care? And, and I think that it does matter. And the reason I think that it matters is, is a little bit subtle. But over here, if I have Jesus living in me, then I'm still the one in control. I'm still the one in charge. I'm still the one making decisions. And what this looks like is, is that I'm saying, I'm saying, okay, I'm going my way and I'm going to do these things and I'm checking in with Jesus, right? I'm saying, hey, I, I really, I want to go do this thing. I want to go have this job. I want to go have this experience, this career, whatever, I, whatever it is. Like I'm saying, this is what I want. And I go, hey, I'm going to go do this thing. Hey, Jesus, is that okay with you? You're good with that, right? 
That's, that's what it looks like over here, right? As we check in with Jesus, right? And maybe we ask his advice, right? Maybe we ask his opinion. We go, hey, hey, Jesus, what do you think about me going this way? You think that's a good idea? Okay, good, I thought so. I'm, I'm going to do that, right? Or we, we invite him to come bless the thing that we're already doing, right? We're, we're like, hey, Jesus is with me, so if God is for me, nothing can be against me. Let me use that verse out of context and, and really step into this and say, hey, I can do anything I want to because I got Jesus living inside me. No, 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 that's not the picture that Paul gives us of what it looks like to follow Jesus. See, we don't take Jesus with us. We are taken out of ourselves and placed in Christ, which means we don't go anywhere that Jesus is not already going. We go with him. He leads us, not us bringing him along. And it matters. Because to be in Christ does something for us. It it, it changes the dynamic. And and there's this really beautiful foreshadowing that happens uh, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God had set apart for himself a people called the Israelites. But the Israelites grew up in Egypt. And they were enslaved They were enslaved. They were slaves to the Pharaoh, right? They were in slavery in Egypt. And God sends Moses to set them free. And all of a sudden, they are taken from this reality. Most of them born into it. Most of them had no idea what it looked like to be anything but a slave in Egypt. In fact, all of them, none of them knew what it looked like to be anything but a slave in Egypt. And all of a sudden, they are taken from that reality. And they are set over here in a new reality in which they are free. To live for God, to pursue God, to be in relationship with God. And guys, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. We were born into a reality of sin. We were born into a world at war. We were born into bondage. And most of us live most of our lives having no idea that it's even there. But Jesus came and gave his life paid the price with his own blood to set us free so that we can live free in a new reality. And here's what happens when we live in this reality. There's some things that happen. There's some implications of living in this place. See, one of the things that happens when we live in this new reality is that to be in Christ means to be united with Christ and with other believers, right? Because here's the thing, right? We've received such an amazing gift. We've gotten such a precious thing. We've all been set free from the same bondage, the same slavery, that what we have in common is so much greater than any of our differences that we can't help but be united. Paul talks in other contexts context about the body of Christ, the believers being one body, forming one body with many parts, right? And he says that you are the body of Christ, and so you have to be united. You've got to be united, that you have to live in unity. And here's what he says in this passage. Let's look at these verses. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reach their fulfillment. What is that? What is that thing that he purposed? What is his purpose? It's right here. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. His purpose is to bring unity. See what happened when sin entered the world, things got broken. We got separated from God. 
The things are not the way they're supposed to be. Sin and death reign in this world. They reign in this reality. They are broken. And what God is doing is taking the broken things and the things of heaven and he's bringing them together so that the broken things are left behind and we are brought into this new reality fully united with God and with one another. We are united in Christ. It's more powerful than anything that could separate us. The the bond of of Christ's blood, the way that we are brought into this freedom, it's so, so incredible and so powerful. Paul also uses the analogy of family, right? That we're adopted to sonship. And it's appropriate that he would use that in this context because in that day, family was everything. Your world was your family. Your world revolved around your family. Everything you did was a part of your family. Blessing was passed through the family. Curse was passed through the family. Wealth, everything, it all had to do with family. Your whole universe was your family. And what he's saying is you're taken out of this family and placed into a new family, into Christ's family. But guys, we don't act like it. We we don't act like we're one family. Because if this is true, if I've been taken out of that family, out of that reality, out of that world, and I've been placed in Christ, in a new family, in a new reality, inside Christ, then that means that every single one of you who is also in Christ is my brother, is my sister, that we are related. We're family. But we don't act like family. To act like family means that I put my relationship with you above my own needs and desires. That I care more about my relationship with you, about being in relationship with you, about knowing you, about being connected to you, about being unified with you. I care more about those things than I do about being right. I care more about those things than I care about my own personal desires. Now look, it doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we're always going to see eye to eye. That's unrealistic because we're not being adopted into a reality that says, hey, we're just absorbed into Christ and now we're all little pieces of Christ walking around. We retain our individuality. But we're united under the force of Christ. Like we're united in that, right? There's a great picture. I learned this from Magic School Bus, actually. That's a great show, man. Don't laugh. My kids love it. You guys know how magnets work? You got a North Pole and a South Pole, right? And they attract, right? Except that when they're backwards, they repulse, right? The magnetic forces push against each other, right? But if I turn this magnet, they'll connect. The magnetic forces will draw the magnets to each other and connect them. But what you might not have known is that when these magnets are connected this way, there's not a magnetic force from the red one and a magnetic force from the blue one, when they're connected, there is one magnetic force going through both of them. See, magic school bus is cool. (laughs) And I thought about that. And I thought this is exactly what it looks like to come into the body of Christ. We retain our individuality, but Christ is flowing through us. There is one spirit that connects us. There is one body that we're a part of. And so what that means, if that's true, if there is one body, then if I disagree with my brother or sister, or if I don't like something that's going on, if I don't understand it, it doesn't mean, this is what I don't do. I don't stand on the side that I'm on. I don't stand on the side and yell at you and say, no, you're wrong. This is why you're wrong. Here's all the reasons that you're wrong, and you need to change your opinion and see it the way I see it. That is not how I respond to my family. I tried it with my wife once. It did not go well. Here's what it looks like. In the body of Christ, 
We are unified under Christ. And so that means I care more about my relationship with you than I do about being right. And it doesn't mean that we're sacrificing truth. It doesn't mean that we're not going to hold on to, to what God says is true. But what it means is that if I don't understand something, I don't go off of my opinion. I come to you and I say, hey, hey man, I, I don't understand. Come sit down with me. Let's get some coffee. Let's, let's talk it out. I, I want to I, I know what's going on here. Like, help me understand your side of this. Help me understand your perspective. Help me understand what's going on here. Help me understand why you feel this way. Guys, and there has never been a time in our country when it is as important as it is right now to take that posture, to say, I don't get it. Guys, and I will be the first one to tell you, I don't get it. Look, man, I, I'm just going to be honest and vulnerable with you this morning. Here's the deal, man. I am a middle-aged white man. I have always been a middle-aged white man who grew up in a sheltered home. There is nothing I can do to change that. But do you know what that means? It means that I don't understand your perspective. If you have anything other, if your skin is a different color, if you grew up in a different economic circumstance, if you grew up in a different style of home, if anything about you is different, then I don't completely understand it. And so rather than sitting here telling me, telling you, I'm right, you're wrong, I want to sit down with you and go, man, help me understand your story. I want to know who you are. I want to know what's happened to you. I want to understand how, why you feel this way. I want to know what's going on. That's what it looks like to be unified in Christ. And when we get it right, man, oh, when we get it right. When Paul talks about it here, he says this, that in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit for the praise of his glory. See, to live in Christ, to be in Christ means to proclaim his glory. Has there ever been a time in our world when unity is more desired and more needed? Has there ever been a time in our world when we are called to live free, free from my own selfishness, free from my own pride, free from the things that I think I deserve, free from all of that and free to live in Christ? And what happens is when I step into this place and I live in Christ and Christ directs me and Christ leads me and I'm living that way and I'm following him and I'm doing what he says and I'm unified with him and with you guys, when I'm in that place, it proclaims the glory of God. Because it goes back to that original story. I was a slave to sin. I was in bondage to the world. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we live like we're free, it proclaims to the world that we're free. When we live in unity, it proclaims to the world that we're free. When we live the way God calls us to live in this new reality, it proclaims the glory of God. And that's what we're called to do and how we're called to live and, and where we're called to be. And so this morning, man, I hope that you've caught a glimpse of what it looks like to step into this reality, 
to peer down the rabbit hole and see just how far it goes. 